Kia ora whanau. Um, there was, a, there was a, a very real possibility that I was not going to be here this morning. When Sadio Mane missed that penalty kick in the FA Cup final, I sat there and thought, there is no way I'm going to go preach if Liverpool loses. But they, they won, so I've got no excuse for a good sermon this morning. <laughs> uh, let me tell you a story. Um, uh, while I was on break, uh, for 17, uh, 17 years ago, I was pastoring in a church, and they gave me a call while I was on break a few weeks ago, asking me if I would come and preach at, uh, at their church, they're having their 30th anniversary. Uh, the church is Helensburg Baptist Church. It's a church that I've, we pastored there 17 years ago. Uh, I was the associate pastor, the senior pastor was a good friend of mine named uh, John. And um, every time I go back to Sydney, I do make an effort to hop on down to Helensburg and see uh, people there. Monica and I still have close ties with a number of families there. And um, it was quite a privilege. You know, I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to preach for you guys. Um, and I'd love to be there to celebrate your 30th anniversary. Uh, then um, the pastor there asked me, well, do you mind writing a couple of pages about your experience here? And I said, yeah, absolutely, no problem at all. And as I went down to write, you start thinking, oh, man, that was actually a really difficult time. What do I write? You know, it's a celebration, so you think, oh, I've got to write um, good stuff. But then that's not real. It was actually a really difficult time. Less so for me, I wasn't the senior, and, and associates can get away with a lot of things. I love being an associate, because you didn't cop it. it was, the people went straight to the pastor, right, the senior. So poor old John, he had a really bad time. I actually got in, in touch with John afterwards. John's not in ministry anymore, and, and I asked him, I said, did you get you know, a message from, from, from Helensburg. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I've ignored it. And I was like, oh, it'd be really good if you wrote something. And he goes, look, Helensburg, they've just got one thing wrong with Helensburg. I was like, what's that? Well, they spell it with one L, not two. <laughs> I said, okay, John, I won't tell him that. You know? <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. But I mean, Helensburg, it's, it's actually a very lovely part of the world. Um, Helensburg is a community of a number of little small communities there, about population at that time about 10,000, I think it's actually doubled since then. But right there is Stanwell Tops, looking down onto Stanwell Park, looking south to Wollongong, uh, down the south coast, absolutely beautiful area. And the church was actually, a well still is, a really cool little church of a small community. I mean, it was quite a large church in comparison to the community that it was in. Um, we had a, quite a thriving youth group, a quite a thriving children's ministry. There's Monica, and if you can see right in the middle there with the white shorts, that's Isabella. <laughs> no, you weren't. <laughs> um, it, was, it was part of the kids' ministry. I mean, some of the things we did that was absolutely really cool was uh, at Christmas time, we would get this open uh, back truck and set it up down by the beach there and do what they called jazz in the park. And they would do the jazz carols for the community uh, in the park. It was a lot of fun. We would be in the background, you know, you know barbecuing away and the kids would be all over the place. Um, it was really a lot of fun. But it actually was a very difficult place to minister. Like many small communities, rural communities, people are very tight, people are very close. Outsiders are usually frowned upon or considered as outsiders 
And Helensburg was no different. Uh, most of the people there had grown up in Helensburg. Most of them were firefighters, because we were right in the middle of the national park. So a lot of them went to school together, grew up together, and worked together. So as pastors coming in, it was never really an easy uh, situation to face, and especially because they brought me on board to deal with the youth group. Uh, we had a, they had a thriving youth group, but they were having some problems. And in particular, there were two leaders. One was a guy who was married with three kids, three little kids, and another was a woman who was a divorced woman with three kids. And these two were having an affair. Now, they didn't want to, they didn't admit to it, they refused to believe that there was an affair. But the problem with kids is they talk. Oh yeah, he comes and sleeps over and he sleeps in mum's bed. And so when I sat down with him, I said, look mate, I need to pull you back from leadership. I need to pull you both back from leadership. We need to get this sorted. I can't have you in this position. <laughs> he said, no, you can't do that. Not being the senior, I thought I'd better just run it by John. Told him the situation. He'd already been quite aware of all of it, but he's like, nah, we need to put our foot down. This is not acceptable. There's two, there's a marriage that's breaking. There's six kids involved. We need to deal with this, rightly. But all hell broke loose. People were not happy with us. We were messing with the system. We were messing with things. We were highlighting things that they were embarrassed about, didn't want to talk about, weren't ready to look at. Everything was nice. Everything was right. What are you doing? You're singling out one of ours. And it was tough. People, I mean, this is a small community. There's one main street. There's one shopping center. There's one petrol station. There's one cafe, one bread store. And so when you go out, you inevitably encounter someone. And it got so bad that you'd be going down the aisle and you'd see someone you know from church and you'd go up and say, hi, they won't say it back, but they'd shoulder charge you and walk on. And you think, how did we get to this? How, are we doing something wrong? What, what's going on here? Are we, what? It got worse with the next pastor. John and I moved on from Helensburg and ended up planting a church in Sacramento, California. But James, who followed up, he was a friend of mine at Bible College, and he, uh, yeah, it got harder. So when I was sitting down writing this, I was thinking, oh, goodness me, what do I say? This really caused so much division in the church. So much. And sin has a knack of doing that. It divides. It rocks. And for us Christians, we don't like <laughs> to be confronted by that. It was fascinating when I was in Christchurch and you know, I went through the whole earthquakes. Did anyone feel that one this morning, by the way? I mean, I guessed that right. The moment it hit, 4.5. Habit. <laughs> I was about to text Monica and say, what did you guess? You know, <laughs> Um, but it's just old habits for that whole time in Christchurch those kind of quakes happened every day those kind of aftershocks happened every day multiple times and it had an impact on the church and there was a lot going on in the church at Apollo and, and a guy in our church 
um, did a really crazy thing. In his 60s, he, was one, he and his wife were, were um, um, uh, community chaplains. He worked in a uh, care facility for at-risk young people, and he had an affair with one of these young people. And it, it rocked the both of them, but I think they were strong enough in their faith where they were able to kind of face each other and say, we need to deal with this. And when I was sitting there with them, the first time this all broke out, she turned to me and said, he needs to confess to the church. And I just kind of looked at her and went, uh, really? <laughs> uh, awkward. Um, and he was, he was determined, I'm, I'm going to do it. And I'm like, oh, how's the church going to react? It's sad that I had to think that, right? How's the church going to react to this? And so that Sunday, I preached and I was, you know, I was just worried. What do I do? Do we, do we, and he, he was there. He sat in the front row. He was ready to take the mic off me, and he did. He came up, and he confessed. And all hell broke loose. It's none of our business. What's he doing up front there? Did you force him to do this, Rob? How embarrassing. And I think, oh, my goodness. We can't deal with this, can we? Now, in part... We, we, there's enough going on in the world at the moment that we don't want to feel like that when we come to church. We want to feel good. We want to feel happy. We want to feel okay. We want to feel that we're part of something cool and good and blessed and, and growing and all of that. And sometimes we impose these kind of boundaries in place to, to make sure none of this happens, that everyone stays in line. But really, it comes down to this fundamental question. What does it mean to follow Christ? What does it mean to be a Christ follower? And I don't think we take this question seriously enough. Personally, I'm not talking just corporately. I'm talking personally. We don't take this seriously. What does it actually mean to be a follower of Jesus? You know, it challenges our, our, our traditions and, and our social norms, what, what we, we should or shouldn't do, what we should say or not say, what we should hide and keep closed in the closet and let no one know about, what we need to show the world. Helmsberg has struggled with that. And so I wrote that. And I wrote to them, I said, and, and you know, the pastor called me back and he goes, um, about that preaching, Rob, are you going to say, oh, look, I said, I'm not going to put it in the preach. I'll preach on vision. I'll talk about, you know, where you've come from, where we're going, all that kind of stuff. Don't worry about that. But if you're asking me to write something, I've got to be honest. It was difficult. Now, I don't need to write about particulars or anything, but I'm not going to say it was a bit of roses. But the truth is, regardless of how difficult it was, part of me wishes I'd ever went to Sacramento and I stayed there. Because when you do go through tough times with people, when you come out the other end, there's a bond. You grow together. You hurt together. And you grow. You, you bond. So whenever I go back to Helensburg or back to Sydney, I make an effort every time to go down for the weekend to Helensburg. Because we have a bond. 
We went through tough times. There's still a few people that don't like me. Paul is facing this at Galatia. The churches in Galatia are facing some things about what it means to follow Christ. What are the social norms and traditions that we need to keep? How do we keep people doing what we expect them to do and not step out of line too much? The question really, even what it means to follow Christ is all about what we call identity. And I've got a white screen. Oh, it's going to tell me. Is that the only one? Good, okay. The word that should be coming up there is identity. Um, We've got some technical issues, but don't worry. The word is identity, but going to the verse in Galatians, we're in chapter two, it says this, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet, not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. The issue of circumcision is a big one in Galatia. So ladies, you're all good. It's obviously a man issue. But the question actually is identity. When it comes to identity, what sets us apart? What makes us different from everybody else? Well, we Jews, we've been around for a few thousand years. We've got circumcision. So we all need to be circumcised because that's what makes us right before God. And in this, just this, few verses several commentaries will tell you Paul is obviously angry having to respond to this he's obviously not happy in fact some of the grammar here is a little bit all over the place it's the same in the Greek it's not it's not it's not going smoothly he hasn't really thought through what he's writing here they say that's because he's most probably angry he's angry that he needs to address this He's angry because this is wrong. It's angry because, hey, this is not what it means to be set free in Christ. He even uses some harsh words. False believers. I've always tried to think, what would Paul be like if he was a pastor in a Baptist church today? Oh, he'd be out. (laughs) You guys wouldn't like him. I mean, imagine calling someone you're a false believer. (laughs) How well will that go down? It's, you know, we don't want to call out what's wrong. We don't want to publicize that. I meet weekly now with one of the leaders at Hope Center, and we're having this really fascinating discussion. I mean, we're both quite different, but yet so the same. And it's fascinating as we talk about church governance and and the movement of the Spirit. And and we're having a great old time. But this last uh, Thursday when I met up with him, he said to me, oh, you know, we're talking in our leadership meeting. And, you know, a few things were said along the lines of those church bashes are in full force now because of all that's going on with the rise. Really bad. Hey, Rob. And I said, well, hang on a second. 
I said, we're part of Partners in Ministry, which is a number of other pastors in, in the lower heart. We all get together. And look, mate, we've all talked amongst ourselves and said, what in the world is going on over there? We know it. We've seen it for years since I came here. They grumble, but we all grumble amongst ourselves. What are they doing there? How do they get away with that? And my response to him was this. If we do not hold each other accountable, the world will. If we are not the ones that hold each other accountable, then, then the world will. Now, I know that sounds really uncomfortable. But there's a problem. Uh, David Ferrier, who's the guy who um, released the report on it, he's actually an old brethren boy, homeschooled, out of Tauranga. He was part of the blogging community 10 years ago. Uh, quite, quite big on it. He still blogs, I guess, and he still does some journalism out of LA. But he asked me, <laughs> jokingly, he was like, so what's so different about your church compared to, to, to Arise? And I said, well, hang on a sec. Pentecostal churches in particular, it's the pastors that tend to abuse the congregation. Baptist churches, it's the other way around. <laughs> and I wouldn't change that for the world. I know it hurts to me, for me to say that, and you've seen how I react sometimes when I'm challenged. It's never easy to be challenged. It's never easy to face people angry at you or people who bump you rather than say hi in a shopping aisle. It's never easy. And that's why a lot of pastors burn out, why they, they close themselves off. It's hard, but I wouldn't change that for the world. We need to hold each other accountable, rightly or wrongly. And here Paul is being really strong. He needs to be. He needs to call it out. These are false believers. They cannot keep saying and doing this. It's wrong. One thing that's so loud in our Bible is this whole issue around false Believers, It comes out time and time and time again. It's as though we need to be really aware of what's right and what's wrong. We need to hold each other accountable. I need to be held far more accountable because I'm up here and you're listening to me. I have a power over you. I have the floor. It's the only time in the whole week I get a monologue. It is, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I get it with you too, don't I, Stu? <laughs> He's my surrogate wife. <laughs> um, but, I mean, we need to be holding each other accountable. Paul doesn't just say this here. He says it also in 2 Corinthians, in Ephesians, he says it in, in, in 1 Corinthians, for such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ, and no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then if your servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Jesus himself pulls it out. He says, you hypocrites, these are the teachers of the law. These 
was leading the Jews. He says to them, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And further on, he goes on to say, you know, there were people in the end of days who come to me and say, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not create miracles in your name? Did we not cast demons out in your name? And he'll say, get away from me. I don't know you. So when it comes to fruits and what does it mean to be a Christ follower, it's not about numbers. It's not about miracles. It's not about prophecies or casting out demons. It's about following Jesus Christ, making him number one in our lives. That's what it's actually about. That's the fruit right there. Is he number one? Are you struggling every day to push him first in your life? Now, believe me, it's not easy. I'm a pastor, you'd think I'd got this down right, but I haven't. But every day, I'm pushing him forward. Every day, it's a struggle. There are times in which we fail. But we shouldn't be afraid to hold each other accountable. We shouldn't be afraid to call out what needs to be called out. If there's ever a time where this world needs truth, it is now. You know, things like this. <laughs> you know, where we, we put these things in place to stop people and we don't do that today anymore do we I mean, but I remember when I first became a Christian in 1992 I'd never been I was 21 years old I'd never been in a church other than the old Catholic church I had to dress up there's nothing wrong in dressing up until you make it a rule Jesus is trying to break down barriers and we're just drawing them right back up. Trying to keep things square. It's fascinating how Paul ends this passage that um, he's talking, he goes, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. <sighs> every church I've been a part of every church there is somebody that leaves there is somebody that just doesn't like it and goes and I get people coming to me saying Rob these people are leaving we need to keep them I said I, I can't first of all I can't force people to be here but at the same time there are certain things that I just can't step back on a few years ago oh, maybe three or four years ago I wrote in our newsletter, just a little line about Donald Trump. Um, he, it was that photo op that he did with the Bible in hand, right? And I said, you know, I said something along the lines of, you know, we can't keep doing this hypocrisy. You know, just because I'm holding the Bible doesn't make me a Christian. My actions tell me whether I'm a Christian or not, right? And, and that's all I said. And I got one, one of our members who's not a member here anymore, Canaan, he just went to town on me, wrote a, an email as long as my, my left leg. And his comment was, was basically, what boiled down to was, Rob, why are you pounding Donald Trump? He's God's man. Why don't you pound Jacinda Ardern? Why aren't you hitting her up? And I said to him in my response, simple. 
I ex don't expect, and take this into context, I don't expect any good from Jacinda Ardern. She's not a Christian, nor does she ever profess to be. So I can't hold to that standard as I would hold myself or anyone else. But Donald Trump says he is. Franklin Graham says he was saved. So I hold him to that standard. And I will challenge him. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you cannot judge the world for they don't live by your standards. Leave that to God. But those amongst you, call them out. That's all. Do I hate the guy? No. If he's a brother in Christ, I'd love to have a few words with him. Sure. But that's what makes the kaleidoscope of Christianity amazing for me. If you all look like me, apart from being really good looking and a great hairstyle, it would be boring. But that doesn't justify us being in this space and placing, just doing whatever we want or forcing people to do what we want them to do. What we're here to do is help people be more Christ-like in every step, in every way, and sometimes challenging them with the hard words. As Peter, who confronted Jesus and his response was, get behind me, Satan, how would you feel if I said that to you? <laughs> oh, man, that's harsh. Whoa, Rob, calm down. Paul is fighting here. He's angry. He's upset. He, he, he's, he doesn't want these people to mislead people who have found freedom in Christ. And he's going to be open about it. He's going to write it in the letter for the whole world to read 2,000 years later. And we sit here looking at it and so the challenge for you this week, what does it mean for you to follow Christ? Where is Jesus at 9.30 a.m. tomorrow morning in your life? Where is he at 5 p.m. tomorrow in your life? Where is he? What does he mean to you? What does it mean for you to follow, to call yourself a Christ follower? What does it mean? And what other traditions and social norms that you have that might actually be inhibiting you to grow deeper in Christ? What are they? Do you know them? Are you aware of them? Uh, uh, we're blessed because we've got several people in our church who are doing this uh, counseling course up in Bethlehem. Um, and the more we can have people around us that help us become more self-aware, the better we become. And sometimes it's challenging. We are not good at times of being very self-aware. And so we surround ourselves with people that help us. That don't just look like a mirror and reflect back what we want to see. But then sometimes they just reflect, hey, do you think this is right? Maybe you need to think about this. Do you have those people in your life? Do you have people that can hold you accountable? That can honestly tell you that was good? No, that's not good. I have three, three or four people I can trust who can tell me whether I was just barking up the wrong tree up the front here or not. 
they're not going to ever tell me that you had a great sermon Rob even though I love to hear that to be honest because deep down I'm insecure like most pastors but I need people to tell me yeah first time I preached at Southview Baptist Church in Northern Virginia there was a row of people afterwards and I thought they were just coming up to shake the pastor's hand right because Americans you know they tend to be traditionalist in that way so I got off the area last song came up went up and shake their hand Rob where in the world did you get that from uh what do you mean yeah yeah. you need to write to me and let me know where you got all that information from because I don't believe a word of it and then I walk off the next person yeah yeah I I agree with him (laughs) this went on for about 10 minutes and I thought I killed the church my first sermon my first Sunday these guys are gone no they'll back there the next Sunday and they came up to me they shake my hand and say good sermon and when I heard them say good sermon I knew it was a good sermon because if it wasn't good they'd tell me and it made me have to work harder to do this and pray harder too but boy I knew that they could be honest without feeling like they were going to hurt me and me not having to react like I'm hurt problem we have in church today it's really hard to be that way so let's be a community that can be open let's be a community that does accept that we don't get it right sometimes let's be a community be the first ones to put up our hands and say hey we're not perfect find someone this week that you can trust to hold you accountable that can say the hard words to you look in the mirror and ask yourself what does it mean to follow Jesus and examine what traditions and social norms you have that might be inhibiting your growth in him amen ask the music team to come up let's pray Father God well sometimes Helensburg is should be spelt with a double L but churches we, we do struggle sometimes Lord and and Forgive us, forgive us, Father, that sometimes we are not the image of Christ to the world, that we are not. We're not that image of Christ, that we're the image of sinful, broken people. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for our own pride and, and our own brokenness. But praise be to God, we have Jesus Christ. Praise be to God that it's not just about looking at the brokenness. It's looking at the fulfillment, the redemption that we have. Reconciliation at the feet of Christ. The wholeness that we have in Him. In a broken world, we know the fix. We've got the fix. It's Jesus So help us, Lord, as your people to be better followers of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to push him front and foremost in our lives, in everything we do. And help us, Lord, to have the people around us to help us in that journey. May we be a community that's just like that, Lord.
praise you, Father. Thank you for your son. Jesus, thank you. Bless us as we go out, as, as we are challenged by this morning's word. May we be encouraged and challenged to be all you've called us to be. Holy Spirit, fill us, I ask, in Jesus' name.